Welcome to the Kickstarter Journeys podcast brought to you by Fundamental Games. Each episode will provide you with some insight and opinions about successfully funded Kickstarter projects from the creators themselves. Here's your host, Wes Woodbury, ready to learn about another successful journey from the popular crowdfunding platform. Enjoy! Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Kickstarter Journeys. And today we've got a special episode. We're actually going to have a episode with somebody that may not have run their own Kickstarter campaign, but they've been a huge influence and uh, supporting factor in other people's campaigns. So we're speaking with Andrew Lowen of Next Level Web. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm feeling fine. <laughs> How are you doing, Wes? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. We're on day two of a, a fun campaign that we're going to dive into. Uh, but first off, I want to talk a bit about um, some of the campaigns that you've supported and how you're making your mark in the industry. So, Andrew, for those that may have followed him or seen what he's worked on, he's been involved in campaigns as large as Isafari and Guard and as new and interesting as um, Open Ocean, I think, by uh, who's that one? By Joel. Um. Gosh, now, uh, you're, but, uh, now you're really quizzing me. Joel Botkin? <laughs> so. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, new and old, I mean, you've been doing these for quite some time, and I'm sure you can rifle off some other titles that you've been involved in. But um, so maybe, Andrew, just give us some background on what Next Level Web does for Kickstarter games and, and advertising and marketing from uh, from your perspective. Sure. So I've run Next Level Web for just over 10 years now, and um, it's my company. I started freelancing websites and um, kind of grew into a marketing agency that specializes in web design development, um, email marketing, pay-per-click advertising, and organic search engine optimization. So getting to the top of Google, AKA. Um, we, uh, I wanna say eight, nine months ago, I volunteered my services for a Kickstarter campaign. That was actually the Isofarian Guard. Um, yep. And, you know, really because I wanted to learn, I, I felt like I could market for these types of games. I saw a lot of mistakes that people were making, and I saw a lot of pitfalls, very common pitfalls that people were falling into because I'm an avid Kickstarter backer, and I just live in this world. I'm a board game designer and that kind of thing, too. And so um, I saw great potential in that campaign, and I thought, you know, let's – can I, you know, can I help? Like the payment that I will get is the knowledge of how to do this for others and to, you know, maybe know what other pitfalls there are from the marketing agency side and that kind of thing. And so after we funded, this is a, gosh, it's, uh, they funded about 260,000 on Kickstarter, which was over 500% of their goal. And then they um, funded, they basically, you know, in the, in the post campaign pledge manager, they funded up to over 320,000, um, and then in addition sold through all their stock of all the other games that they had. So it was a great success yeah, for pretty, them. Yeah, pretty amazing. I think you have uh, over, well, just shy of 4,000 backers on the main Kickstarter, and then like you said, probably another 100 or more, um, or maybe even 500 on the post campaign. So that's fantastic. Yeah, and and what's funny is I, I I'm also a backer of that campaign. I'm like, you know, I'm just. It, it was such a good game that I had to jump in on it too, all in. <laughs> so I can't wait for my copy. <laughs> so and you know, what, what I, are some of the other games that you've you've been behind? Um, so actually, probably the the most fun that I've had thus far is a campaign that's yet to come out. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with Justin Gary of Stoneblade Entertainment on his new Ascension Tactics. That's a really cool right. one. Um, Ascension is the biggest uh, campaign that I've worked on. Um, and I, you know, at the moment it's the most anticipated thing on Kickstarter is what Justin was telling me with, um, you know, several thousand follows on the pre-landing page and that sort of thing. But, um, uh, so I've been working on that one for a couple of months. I, I've worked on things like mint control by 524 labs. They raised like 90 K. Yeah. Um, I worked on actually very recently a game called planet unknown, uh, by Adam's cool. Apple games. Fantastic yep, yep. human being, Adam Ryberg, and uh, probably butchered his name, but uh, he's a good guy. And he funded 200, uh, 244,000, <laughs> about 4,000 4, backers, right? Um, so those yeah, are, those it's are funny some. that you mentioned that because we were talking before the call about it being a small world. And I had the, the honor of interviewing both Rachel Blasky, who did Mint Control, 
and Adam Rayburg, who did Planet Unknown. So it's just neat that I get to talk to the person that helped kind of pre-market and advertise their game. So that's awesome. <laughs> that's yeah, that's great. And uh, I've marketed uh, some, let me see, some lesser known games. Um, of course, uh, Open Ocean. That That's a very yeah. interesting uh, case that uh, I originally said no, that I couldn't market it. And then I changed uh, my mind. <laughs> I've uh, I've also done work for White Wizard Games. I've consulted for um, Rio Grande Games um, on uh, Dominion, actually, and a couple of other things. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, it's just uh, I've I've helped a lot of others with um, kind of helping them set up their own ads and whatnot. I think probably one of the most valuable things I can do as a marketer is to help arm people to manage their own campaigns, you know, and um, so I've been doing a lot of that for tons of companies. And uh, one of one of those would be Canine Kleptomaniacs uh, project that yep. was so that was a successful funded successfully funded on Kickstarter by a small little I say it again, sorry. They were also on the show, actually, one of my earlier guests. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So um, they, you know, we talked about, you know, just how to fund after Kickstarter. And so, we, you know, I've worked, um, I'd probably, I'd say, I mean, I launched three Kickstarters in the last two days. This one called Die in the Dungeon by some guy named Wes Woodbury um, yeah. is, uh, was one of them. And I'm sure we'll get to talk about that today. But um, I'd say I've run about two dozen Kickstarter camp, uh, marketing campaigns in the last nine months. I launch two to three campaigns a month on average, maybe maybe more now. I don't know. Yeah, you've been a very busy guy. And um, I mean, this is an interesting and fun world to be in, especially in this day and age where uh, there's a lot to escape from. Board games give us that escapism that we want in a kind of a tactile in-house kind of way. And uh, what is it about Kickstarter that really um, makes you tick? What, 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 why is that different than marketing for, let's say, a, a big publisher who you could maybe get more income or more attention from. And well, you know, what's really funny about Kickstarter is it's basically, so there's, let's contrast it with Amazon. If I wanted to go buy a game off Amazon, I'd go buy pandemic or whatever. I would buy it for a, a, a good price and I would get it within two days yep. on, on Kickstarter. I buy a product at a good price and I get it 11 months from now, if I'm lucky. And I get you buy- shipping. You don't yes. shipping on Amazon. That's right. And, you know, hopefully we get a bunch of, you know, silly stretch goals that were probably pulled out of the game, heavily tested and just added back in as stretch goals. Um, You know, it's just it's just a fun game. It really is. Um, What I love the most about Kickstarter, though, is that it gets people passionate about a thing. So not only are you, you know, getting a thing that you have envisioned for however long you get to turn something into reality, but you get a lot of others that can get really passionate about your project as well. And what I find is that, you know, that you hear things like um, certain companies, you know, they don't need Kickstarter because they have the cash flow to make these games, to print the copies and all of that. And the reason that I believe Kickstarter is more valuable than you know, for for board games, I mean, it's it's such a such an amazing tool. It's because not only does it get you funding, but it also gets you. Um, it's like a giant megaphone for marketing. It's people yeah. share it. It is you know, it's it's rare to find some kind of um, we 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 try to manufacture scarcity in marketing a lot. So when I create a a deal for a random e-commerce site, it's like you know expires today or you know ends Thursday or you know ends on you know, July 1st or whatever it is. But in all reality, if somebody came to me on July 2nd asking for that very same thing, willing to pay me money as a business owner, I would probably say, yeah, let's, you know, okay, just I'll hook it up, right? But with Kickstarter, yeah. But with Kickstarter, the, the clock is counting down. And when it ends, it legitimately ends. And yes, there is some gray area with pledge managers, but... Um, you know, it's, it's, it really is an opera, uh, sometimes a unique opportunity with an expiration date. And that I think is what makes Kickstarter so engaging to, you know, for fans of the game. 
Yeah, and you could have an entire episode just talking about companies like Simon or Awaken Realms or those other companies that people feel may not need Kickstarter anymore. But you're right, it's it's a hype machine. It helps get the word out there. It helps gauge what percentage of people may want the game post-production. So there's so much value to it that those companies get. And it almost helps keep Kickstarter relevant for even independent publishers. So it's hard right. to decide what side of the fence to be on when really maybe there's no fence at all. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. It's um, just the boundary stone constantly gets moved, doesn't it? It's it's one of those things that um, I I think some what, the one thing I will say though is that some companies are very very dependent on Kickstarter, and there's always going to be another thing, and there's a life cycle for every product, every marketing platform, and so um, Kickstarter is is changing. It's becoming more difficult to you know for somebody with a great idea to actually make it make it happen um you know just throughout the years i mean the barrier to entry is getting a little bit higher um you have to be more polished and that sort of thing you know absolutely now um one of the things that you do is you highly advocate free advertising so many people will think of kickstarter and think man, I'm going to spend so much money on advertising when my game launches, or man, I can't wait till my game launches so I can start to talk to people about it. But um, I know you, and and this is why I actually recruited you when we were deciding what to do with Die in the Dungeon, Mm -hmm. and kind of brought you on board as a liaison for marketing, and you're helping run the ad. So for anybody listening, uh, Andrew is a paid service, and he is helping with my campaign right now. But it's, it's, um, it was interesting to see your perspective on that. And you first talked about it, or at least I first heard about it, when you um, were on Gabe Barrett's podcast, Board Game Design Lab, talking about the value of pre-marketing. So maybe let me know what your thoughts on are on the, how early should you start uh, paid advertising or how early should you start unpaid advertising, such as Facebook groups or, or things like that. You know, I just wrote over 40 pages for, for uh, Gabe's book, How to Get Funded on Kickstarter. And I went over a very detailed plan on exactly my answer to that um so <laughs> well, we don't have time for 40 pages but we'll take a right. snapshot of i'll give you the cliff notes okay <laughs> if anybody gets the the adage um definitely so, good plug for gabe's book though i did i actually backed that i backed it to, and, and got an advertisement which we'll see on his uh web page soon but um i love his books and i have his first two already that's Go awesome ahead. <laughs> yeah so um Really, when marketing starts, so first of all, I will die on the hill of pre-marketing is the most important marketing you can do for a Kickstarter campaign because crowdfunding um, is really two things, a crowd and funding. So if you bring your crowd, you'll get funding. And if you don't bring your crowd, uh, chances are you will not get funding. So the the idea is that your pre-marketing is so essential to your success as a designer as a company a a publisher a self-publisher um and there are really several different phases of pre-marketing um you know as soon as your game is an idea that you have turned into a really cruddy looking prototype you can start marketing so your friends and family will know about it because that's all you can talk about because you're excited that's marketing um you will take it to play test with with friends, with uh, maybe people at an unpub or protospiel event or a convention that has like a first look, you know, uh, play area, and that's marketing. You'll be able to get those people to join your email list, to follow along. Maybe they valued being able to help you, so they want to see its progress and all of that. That's that's all marketing. Uh, when you have art that you think is really cool, I mean, I remember with a game that I'm developing called Deliverance, I, I remember sharing this sketch that my my artist did before I hired him. He did this sketch that was like of an angel and a demon. And I just thought that was so cool. I shared it and shared it everywhere and got a decent amount of followers from that on in uh, into a Facebook group. And that was it before I even had a website. And so all of these little things, just anything that makes you excited and you know, is is kind of a an outward um, expression of what you have been developing internally. Let that be fuel for your marketing fire. Is is kind of what I would get at. So you you can market easily a year or more out 
uh, from a Kickstarter campaign. I have been marketing Deliverance for close to three years. You know, I've been working on it for four and marketing it for close to three. It's just a, a thing that I hope a lot of people know about and all of that. But um, the, the, the normal things that you have to do anyway, you should also use um, and you should also share, you know, with others. And it becomes quote unquote marketing when you're a, or effective marketing when you are able to lead them back to a Facebook group so they stick around or lead them to your website so they can sign up for your email list. Um, so that's yeah, kind of and the there, and first there's a lot phase. of creators that um, they look at they look at that as a, a fearful opportunity like somebody will steal my game or I should get it licensed first or um, I don't know if I should share this because then it might make it not as exciting when it launches. Um, so it sounds like you're definitely in the in the boat of no, that's entirely wrong. Nobody's going to steal your idea and art is meant to be seen type of a pool. And that's where I come from as well. I, I think that's important. Have you talked to any of you, your people that you've helped promote that were worried about that? Yeah, actually, you know, I, I, I guess I would consider myself, I definitely lean more toward the way that you look at it, um, is that art is something that's meant to be shared. I would say that uh, something, you know, anything that's visually impactful is something that is share worthy. And that mostly boils down to art or pictures of the game on the table or, you know, things like that. And there are other things that really aren't so share worthy that you don't really it's it doesn't really move. Then I've learned, at least in, in my own experiences, but also just as a board game fan, it, it don't really move the needle. One, for example, the way that your core mechanism of the game actually works. You know, you don't want to you don't need to share you know, section 4A of your rulebook, it, it's not really going to get a whole bunch of people excited, but it'll give somebody an opportunity to potentially copy that thing. Um, it's just something that I look at as keep it to visually impactful things and yep. leave the rest up to chance. I mean, it's very possible that somebody could come out with some angels versus demons game a month before deliverance hits Kickstarter or whatever, and that's okay. I just don't want to, I just don't want it to be with my core mechanism that makes my game fun. I don't want them to, to have the secret sauce, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And visuals are a lot easier to quickly share and, and um, get reactions from than trying to describe a, you know, three paragraph section of a rule book about how combat works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so you're saying you can create a Facebook at any time when you're ready, uh, start a group, start sharing. Um, and then so at what point do you think, uh, OK, I think I've got enough now that I want to get email subscribers or I want to get geared up for Kickstarter? What's what's your phasing on that? Yeah. So um, I find the most valuable thing that you could pay for as a, uh, a self-publishing person is a landing page. If you if you have to. Um, you know, I would recommend first to build one for free yourself or, you know, at whatever cost the hosting is, you know, but that the earlier you get that, the earlier you can get a MailChimp account, attach it to your landing page so that people can subscribe when they go to your landing page. That is a very useful tool to have in all of your marketing efforts. Same thing with a Facebook group because it's free. You can create a group. Yeah. You can link it on Facebook, and it's it's like a your email list and your Facebook group are two places that you can accumulate followers and accumulate the the right and privilege to share your stuff with more and more people. Um, so I would say do those things as early as you can. Um, for me, the the particular um, time for a landing page is when you have enough art to make it look. To, I guess give somebody an idea what this thing even is you know um so that's i i would say that's typically going to be you know for me i would be six months to a year out um but i would say really when you absolutely need to have it is um my recommendation would be at least uh two to three months out that you would make sure that you have a landing page by that time um so yeah. that you can start to ramp up your advertising effort before you kickstarter yeah, and we're definitely talking about Kickstarter, not about just designing a board game. That's a whole different field, and this whole podcast is about yes. Kickstarting. Mm -hmm. And um, you could probably 
you have a lot more information about those probably in Gabe's book. So again, a, a plug for Gabe's book whenever it comes out. I'm sure he's <laughs> yeah. going to be selling extra copies once it's out there. Um, so let's fast forward. on my brain to, a lot later, <laughs> or a lot yeah, lately. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> if you've written 40 pages about it, I'm sure it has. Um, so if we fast forward, you know, I've got my game. I've, I've gone through all the play testing. I've done everything I want to do with it. I, I'm ready. I want it to launch. How soon before launch do I say, hey, you know what? It's time to advertise and really pump this thing up. Do I do it the day before or a couple of days before and just get the crowd hyped then? So I, um, what's funny is with Open Ocean, that's exactly what we did. We had four days until it launched uh, when I took that project on. Um, but the best is really, I say, about two months before. Um, if you do it too early, so meaning paying for advertising, if you do it too early, then people can kind of get burned out you know, the, the hype train leaves the station and then people get impatient and then they, you know, kind of lose the, the fire they once had. So I find six weeks to two months, you know, six to eight weeks is, is a good time frame. Um, you know, just for, for advertising on Facebook or, you know, that type of thing. Right on. And, um, is, should they be doing things like videos or should they be doing carousels or, or just a, a one-side image of their game board? Or? So um, actually that's uh, so build, how to build an ad, you know, an effective ad. I have found for the most part that ads with images, still images, single still images are more effective overall as a general rule than all of the other things. Um, so a carousel would be where you put like four or five images together in the same um, ad and people can scroll through them. Um, a video, you know, let's say anywhere from 15 seconds to a minute long, you know, uh, clip of your game playing. I, I just don't, f I, in the numbers, I just don't see that they're as effective because, you know, and the rationale, I guess, is, uh, you know, for a video on Facebook, people play without sound because, you know, I know we're in this whole, you know, stay at home thing with uh, COVID, but you know, the, you're still going to play without sound. A lot of the time people are at work and their boss will get upset at them if they have sound on. And, you know, by default, Facebook has sound off, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, I find anything that relies on sound to communicate a message is less effective on Facebook. Um, you know, and, and uh, Carousel, you just, you get a smaller space for your ads. Images that are square have the greatest visual impact, um, you know, that are well-designed. So. Good. Some good yeah. news out there, good feedback for people that are just trying to figure out that part of the market. And yes. again, um, Andrew's advice goes well beyond that. And um, if you ever do bring him on board, I'm sure he could share a lot more. He did spend some time uh, sharing with me how the ad creation system works and something about A-B testing and about um, prioritization. There's so much you can talk about. It's just unreal. Uh, yeah. So we're not going to dive into that. But I did <laughs> want to talk a little bit about um, budgeting. And you and I talked about that a little bit before we started this call. So um, I established a budget for the game that you you and I are promoting called Die in the Dungeon. And I, I set that one fairly high. I set it higher than my last game at $20,000 instead of $15,000, just kind of based on what I think it actually needed to produce enough to make it a worthwhile game mm -hmm. for backers. And that's that's one way to look at budgeting a game. And there are there are definitely other ways to look at it where you can under budget or really cut it low. What what's your perspective on the games that you've helped support? Have you ever had to give advice on budgeting, or do people just tell you how much they think their game should cost and you try to run with that? Yeah, that that's actually a great uh, topic because you can do all of the great work. I mean, the greatest work possible in driving people to your website, getting emails, and getting people interested, and that sort of thing. But if you if you do um, if you price your your funding goal too high, or the price of your product too high, or honestly even too low, you you will run into problems, huge problems that all the all the great marketing in the world won't solve. And so um, what I what I often I actually often have this conversation with creators where they uh, in fact one campaign I ran uh, over. Uh, November, December of 2019, it was uh, an RPG, like a one-shot RPG called A Christmas Carol Adventure, and they had the idea that they would include miniatures in the game, and oh, wow. 
that uh, yeah, and it was it was basically like a, a you know a book, a campaign book, and yep. a couple of other things that were all paper, and then miniatures. And their funding goal, they were like, okay, we're thinking our funding goal is forty grand. Like, all right, but that seems pretty high for a first-time creator funding a book. <laughs> Why is it forty thousand? And they're like, okay, well, you know, it's because of these miniatures. And I said, well, what if we took the miniatures out? What would it be? And they came back and said oh, about $7,500. And I said, I think that that's the, the the proper move because, you know, you've got this very expensive component that is just going to make it, you know, people can back this product for $19. You would have right. to have so many of those backers, 2,000 backers, to, to hit your $40,000 goal, right? And um, so they, they ended up concurring and – set it without minis and they ended up raising 36 grand and they were very happy. They gave people the files to 3d print minis instead. That's kind of what they decided. But, um, if we had launched with 40 grand as the funding goal, it, it probably honestly wouldn't have raised more than five. So it's a very interesting phenomenon. When you price your funding goal a little bit too high, you will find it very hard to reach that goal. And then, when you price it at, you know, what is uh, reasonable for, you know, for your project, you will far surpass the goal that you, oftentimes that you had, the higher goal that you had set. So um, it just, it's such a critical thing. I mean, we can talk about how to put that together, but um, it, I'll just, I'll just kind of end with this: is that make sure that you, certain costs are sunk. Don't try to recoup the cost for your art that you've spent already. Don't try to recoup the cost for your time. Just make sure that the costs in funding are the essential things that you need to get your game finished. Um, and then build in margin in case, uh, you know, and then of course, freight it out to the fulfillment center and build in your margin so that you don't, you know, go negative from some unforeseen but, um, so yeah, I mean we the the fear is that you're going to you know hit your funding goal and then not have enough money to cover all of your expenses and that's kind of the the thing that you have to balance against all that I just said. Yeah, it, and it's it is definitely a balance like um, I've had the fun of putting together quite a few campaigns and each time it's a it's a spreadsheet it's how much does this cost? How much will that be? What percentage do I want? Do I want to lose money? Do I want to break even? There's there's so many factors that go into it. And you mentioned shipping. If you're producing in China, the shipping costs are unreal. And I was lucky enough, well, not lucky, but uh, um, spent the time to research that in advance, which sometimes people forget about that little factor. And that can be in excess of $5,000. So uh, mm -hmm. it's just crazy, like the cost factors that go into that. And um, so people- That's another thing that can kill a campaign, by the way, shipping. If you don't get your shipping yes. right. In fact, there is a campaign I will not mention right now that's uh that's live on kickstarter that had great problems right out of the starting gate fantastic game i had the opportunity of you know seeing it at a convention and everything amazing game and they launched and one of the biggest complaints was their shipping cost was too high they later found out that they could cut slash their shipping cost by a third but it's too late you know they they really hamstrung themselves right out of the starting gate um yeah, yeah, I know which campaign you're talking about, and they, they do look fantastic. Their box is uh, completely different, so if that's a giveaway, there you go. Uh, but it is a great-looking campaign with great reviews, and that shipping on day one, that, that's when you get a good half of your backers, so you just really got to watch out if you're launching the right way. So, mm -hmm. And speaking of that, like when you're talking about funding goals and targets, um, there's different perspectives. I know on Stonemeyer's blog and on the Tabletop Kickstarter advice and um, – all these other platforms, they'll, they'll tell you what to expect. But if you aren't funded by, let's say, the fourth day of the campaign, is that when you just say, you know what, it's never going to happen? Or do you do you, or do you believe in those campaigns that push it right to the last day? What are your thoughts on that, being watching Kickstarter for so long? Yeah, so, you know, I look at everything as a form of marketing. Um, there's an example of a – I have a couple of examples. One actually advised on, which was um, – uh, Dungeons of Infinity by Jack Sporner. He had tried to launch his game a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think he's one of the earliest, actually. So. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, um, 
I, I told him, man, you need to cancel this campaign. It's it's uh, seven days in and not funded. You know, that's that was my my perspective. And at the time and he's like, you know, I'm just going to going to push and I'm going to go for it. And if we fail, we fail and I'll just try again. And I was like, OK, so I watched his campaign. I, I, I actually backed his campaign. I wanted to also see the progress. And it was amazing the the level of excitement and and um you know, just the the level of passion that his backers had actually got him funded um, after his 30-day campaign. Um, so I look at someone that puts forth an effort like that, that stays mentally checked in, is really important, um, and communicates with backers and shares things and all of that. If that person fails, um, they can try again. But what they've earned through that first effort is – a group of people that will stick around for the second one, and um, you've, in, in a way, you've kind of you've won the right to communicate with backers, potential backers, through a campaign updates, even if a campaign has failed. So, um, I my uh, opinion on that has kind of shifted over time, but if somebody, if it doesn't look like somebody's going to fund, I definitely think that. I, I tend to lean more toward trying to make it, seeing how you can make it work and all of that. I definitely agree with canceling after the momentum has died um, or the passion is kind of the fire has gone out. Um, but, uh, you know, really, I, I would encourage people to have a plan going into their campaign. They think I've, I've had creators that I've worked with that, that think their campaign will make at minimum one million dollars and had no plan for anything under that, um, true story. And, um, it's, uh, you know, it's just important to have a plan for if you fail, if you fund mildly, you know, have mild success. If you have, you know, uh, I mean, uh, incredible success, like all those things you can, you can run into problems if you didn't expect them. So. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. And um, like I said, uh, we're on day two of funding right now for Die in the Dungeon, and you've been a huge advocate for getting the, the odds rotating. We did it six weeks early, and um, the, the plan for that budgeting was pretty significant for, again, just a second-time actual board game creator. And so there's a good chance we will fund, but it, it's definitely not going to be one of those hit it out of the park on day one type of campaigns. So just mm -hmm. trying to make sure that was the funding goal realistic, and if it is, then keep on pushing for it. And that's exactly the, the state that we're in right now with this one is that um, it's definitely fundable. It's not going to be a $100,000 campaign, but there's going to be some interesting fun as the campaign goes on to see how much more is more without kind of breaking the bank on ads. And, and um, you know, there, there comes a point where you get different crowdfunding specialists that will shove emails and, mm -hmm. and tag you and try to get you to spend money to get them to share your campaign and that's really just a money dump and money grab for them yeah but there's a lot of things to do organically to keep on finding ways to grow your audience and show what you have to offer yeah any marketing company that comes to you after your campaign has launched and says i can get you 100,000 impressions whatever i recommend running from that person um it's you know it's unless they are very well touted by highly respected people in the industry or something like that I which I can't actually think of anybody that that it's like an ambulance chaser you know it's a kickstarter chaser it's um not reputable um but yeah you know I I, I look at all pre-marketing and so like the pre-marketing we did for die in the dungeon the the intent of that pre-marketing is specifically to gather a list of of excited fans that will back your game on the first day. And when, you know, because those those people, they're not, if they back you on the first day, they're not looking for, you know, the new hotness. They're not, I mean, you know, there are games out there that have 17 stretch goals unlocked and and whatever it is, but it, that's not this game. And they want this game. So the, the really, the, the whole purpose of pre-marketing is to get funded and then you know anything beyond that the the buzz if we can get the ball rolling and and explode um 
virally. Those are things that are kind of outside of our control. But what is within our control is, you know, doing a great job pre-marketing to get funded and, um, you know, really giving an asset that you can leverage. Like for, you know, as, a, as an example with, with Die in the Dungeon, um, we have what uh, right now just over like a thousand emails that we had earned by the time the Kickstarter launched. Uh, of course, your work organically, uh, my work with ads and and uh, your previous campaigns all contributed to that. But that's something that you get to carry forward with you into the next campaign. And I, I mean, based on your history, it looks like you have many campaigns in front of you uh, as a as a publisher. Um, and then, of course, you know, the the uh, backer updates and the fact that you've successfully funded multiple projects and all of that. I mean, it's all building into really, you know, the fundamental games um, library and the, the, the amount of trust that people have for your company and the amount of people that have heard of your company. All of that is it's something that grows exponentially over time. And these are really mindsets that we need to have when when marketing. I never liked the idea of marketing um, being like, okay, I have a thousand dollars, I need to spend it today and get a better return than I spent. If I had a thousand dollars and I could spend it today and get twelve hundred back, or you know, a thousand and one dollars back, I I should theoretically do that an infinite number of times. I would have an infinite number of of infinite amount of money. Um, but that's not really how marketing works. It, it you know, it would, it's it, you build. And it's like a little snowball that you have to, you know, pack and then roll slowly down yeah. a hill, help it, put it back together. And then it becomes an avalanche at, at a point that spins out of your control in a very positive way when talking marketing. Yeah, because each of those uh, thousand email subscribers, some of them may drop off if they just kind of impossibly joined. But if you even keep 75 percent of them to the next game and to the next game then you, you have a constantly growing, like you said, a snowball effect of followers and fans, provided that you deliver on everything that you're promising. So yeah. I like the way that you look at that. And when you are trying to target to get basically what you call engaged or energetic fans, as opposed to just giving a contest and getting people to subscribe to win something, uh, what kind of taglines or um, um, kind of verbiage would you use i know you mentioned the square image and iconic iconic images that people will draw to your game with the die in the dungeon it was the die roller with isofarian guard it was that that frosty ice scene uh, mm-hmm. so you've got, you've got the images that's easy to draw people's eyes to but do the taglines matter or can you just throw a picture and hope people join yeah that's a great question and this is uh something that i typically requires a lot of a b testing uh meaning one headline so you try one headline that you think is going to work well against another ad of the exact in essence a copy of the same ad with just a a slightly different headline or maybe a slightly different descriptive or descriptive text it's called primary text at the moment facebook ads um and you figure out what works the best but there are certain things that just seem to work better than other things um number one it's kind of ridiculous but emojis are very useful um i am a big advocate for emojis in uh, especially on facebook ads it's it's something that um i remember actually back to miguel martinez did a campaign called too many poops and it was this game about like kitty litter and you know it was funny they had like a poop uh meeple it was it was ridiculous and his best performing ad was a cat emoji with about 100 poops afterward it was the best performing ad text that he had by far because yes, <laughs> who needs words when you have a cat with lots of poop, too many poops. Yes. And it's hilarious, but that was his best performing ad and he did a whole case study on it and all that. And, um, that was probably, I think like a year and a half or, or so ago. And I kind of took that to heart and I said, okay, I'm going to try, I'm going to try that in, in my campaigns, you know? And, um, it, it just, I have one that's that's live right now. It's uh, about 200% funded, launched on Tuesday. It's called uh, Protectors of the Rainbow. And it's this uh, kind of a live-action role-playing game where your kids – it's kind of like an Easter egg hunt. Put it this way, a glow-in-the-dark Easter egg hunt. It's kind of like what it is. And I just – I put – I mean I used probably 10 unicorn emojis, a rainbow emoji, 
and <laughs> 20 gems. And that's our best performing ad. Um, it's, uh, you know, with a little bit of text, like it's a glowing treasure hunt. Are you in? Um, and that was our, you know, that was one the best performing ad. Um, so there are, there are two places to kind of get back to your question. There are two places that you can put text really three, I guess we'll talk about the call to action. There is a button that you can place on your ad that will say, learn more or, you know, whatever, just make sure it says learn more. Make sure to have a button. I'm an advocate for that button. Um, I know there are some that some campaigns that do not have a button, and I that they just it doesn't work as well for me. Um, so have People a button that says press, right? They, right. They see that colored button, and it's like yes, I can press something. I know where to click. Yes, exactly. And then um, we're talking about taglines and and not having a lot like yeah, using emojis is one thing, and using a few words like uh, I was looking up. Um, the best taglines ever and the top ones consist of three or four words it's fast you can read it quick and then you're done so whether yeah. it's nike's just do it or apple's think different or kfc's finger looking good there's things that people remember and if, i think if you overword it that's where um mm-hmm. you can kind of get lost in the message and just keep on scrolling yeah exactly and you know so what i i would say at the the bare minimum my guidelines would be so you have a headline which is this big bold text that um you know, shows very prominently right underneath your ad image uh, next to that call to action button that we just talked about. Use or just make sure that you don't hit the dreaded dot dot dot. If <laughs> if your Im, if your text is too long, then Facebook will shorten it for you uh, with a dot 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 saying there's more um, there's more text than this, but I'm only showing that much. Just make sure it doesn't give you a dot, dot, dot. There's a preview that you can look at when you're building ads. Um, The same is very same thing is true in the other space that you can have text, which is the what's called the primary text box. It's like the description of just um, paragraph text above your ad, above your image Um, that you have about three lines of of text. Um, Make sure that you're looking at the mobile version of your ad when you're building it and that the mobile version doesn't have dot dot dots because there's not enough there's not as much room on mobile as there is on desktop um and uh, what i prefer to do with the um the top is to introduce the game you know uh whether we actually say introducing you know die in the dungeon or whatever it is um i like to describe what kind of thing it is so what I generally try to do is I try to provide a little bit of context of this image that they're looking at. You know, I want people to understand that it's a board game. So if I don't have a board game box in the image, then we need to have some indicator that it's a board game. Um, you know, this is a, uh, you know, dungeon crawler for one to five players that plays in, you know, that type of language. Board game, like hobby yeah. board gamers start to recognize that type of language. But you may just want to say it's a, you know, really whatever board game. It's a, um, so I like to give context to the image, if that makes sense with that. And then with the headline. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Relate to it and mm-hmm. so you're involved in board games. So keywords to board games really stand out. If you use the word area control or if you use the word, um, uh, you know, skirmish game or miniatures game, those all stand out uh, to board gamers immediately. They're like, oh, yeah, I like that kind of game. Click. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, another thing I would also recommend when you're thinking about that little primary text area is the theme is really important. Um, Theme. How am I going to feel? Who do I play? What do I do? You know, and um, of course, competitive cooperative, kind of a big deal. Um, So that type of thing, you know, and um, if if you can kind of get somebody get their taste buds watering a little bit, um, your, your landing page or your Kickstarter page or whatever it is they will seek out more information. That's the whole point of the ad. You know, you just want to get, just want to wet their beak a little bit, you know, um, so that they'll, they'll go, you know, investigate more. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Now, when you, um, when you're uh, working in Kickstarter, you watch people's projects, you support people's projects, you're working on your own game, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But uh, can you tell me about a campaign that you haven't worked on that really just stunned you and you're like, wow, I wish I would have thought for ads or I'm going to remember that when I do my own ads. Is there a campaign 
uh, maybe that launched this year that you remember that kind of thing with? Yeah, actually, um, what I'll do is campaigns that are um, memorable to me, or rather campaigns that I, I do this as well with email marketing, I will subscribe to an email list to see how they email, they do email marketing. I'm weird like that. And so I, I will pledge a dollar or whatever on a campaign specifically so that I can follow their updates after they funded and all of that. Um, so just, you know, kind of I could look through all of my uh, my list. But a couple that really stand out to me are from um, Mythic Games. So Mythic Games does uh, – so they did Joan of Arc. They did Solomon Cain, um, other things like that. I think they just finished uh, Steam Watchers and uh, – a buddy of mine, Sam Healy, now works for Mythic Games, and it's um, it's a uh, it's yeah. you know, but uh, those those campaigns, I feel like they do a, a generally a very good job of number one, uh, a very well laid out Kickstarter page that looks extremely exciting. Um, they do a great job um, keeping people updated and, and that sort of thing. And if you're looking to figure out how to be a good marketer. Um, or, you know, if you're looking to figure out how to be a great publisher, then I would recommend seeking out other publishers just like that and following them to see what it is that they say. How do they say it? You know, what what type of voice are they using? Are they, you know, for example, I, I often recommend against speaking corporately. So, you know, in, in board game, the board game industry, people are very personable. They want to they want to hear what you think they don't want to hear what company thinks um and so it's it's very interesting when you when you look at a successful company like that uh as an example um another one that was great and very recent of course is uh frost haven the number one most funded board game of all time um i loved absolutely loved how they ran their campaign i think that they have earned quite a lot of um uh you know, I guess I guess their backers were expecting no stretch goals and to have instead some epic puzzles that they could solve each day and other types of in- ways to engage. They've they've really um, earned uh, a lot of goodwill from their backers by being involved like that. So those are some really great campaigns that I just thought did an incredible job and were rewarded very well for it that I follow. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's great. I know there's one close to home here. I live in uh, near Calgary, Alberta, and there's a company called Roxley Games that did, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they did the Dice Room, they did Santorini, but most recently they did a relaunch of a new game of Steampunk Rally Fusion. And just uh, the visuals I saw when those when I got forced down those ads in my feed, it was just I couldn't help but look at it, even though not my kind of game, but I, I couldn't help but look at the ad, which is kind of the whole purpose of it. So it's really cool when those ads catch your eye and frost even was the same way i mean i didn't back it myself because I, I can't get into a 60 uh, hour campaign game when i spend most of my free time making games yes. but it was really cool to see all the different methods I, fa- I saw them on youtube i saw them on facebook i saw them on instagram like anywhere i went they were there and their ads mm-hmm. were always compelling so yeah. yeah some good examples there and, and i do the same thing as you i I'll pitch a dollar or five dollars, depending on what I think of the game. Even if I don't have room in my cupboard and I don't have time to play it, I'll still follow it so I can see the emails and I can see the backers and the comments. And it's just a, a, a kind of a personal training tool while still supporting fellow designers. So. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, I think that following great designers is a keystone in your tool as a marketer, as a good marketer. Um, you know, follow your way to success, right? Follow your way into leadership. So. Yeah, exactly. Now, when it comes to uh, what's in the future for you, you kind of got into this hobby in part because you're designing your own game. You've talked about deliverance and how you've been kind of building that foundation for years. Since I got into the hobby back in March of 2018, I've seen your posts and uh, your landing page was one of the first things I saw. I think that's one of the things you were touting early on and that showed kind of the whole game board with a link to every component. And I thought that was a cool visual. But it was even back then, two years ago, that you were marketing. Uh, the game Deliverance, which is about angels and demons in, in an epic war in a tabletop board game, which really doesn't exist yet. And the name itself spouted all kinds of fun um, <laughs> discussion points early on. But I think you're way past that now. Uh, and maybe you can tell me what's your thoughts of, you know, uh, you can kind of recap 
how long you've been working on it, how much more longer you think it has to go, and what your plans are for this uh, epic game that you've got literally thousands of followers across your different channels now. Yeah, it's it definitely is something that has started grassroots. Um, so my uh, it's a so Deliverance is a Christian fantasy dungeon crawl board game where you control an elite angel, Michael the Archangel, and then you go battle against these forces of darkness, these demons, um, it, you know, to to really figure out why are all of these demons overwhelming this tiny little town in the middle of nowhere? And uh, so it's kind of your your quest to figure that out. And of course, demons don't like angels very much. And uh, so you get to have a lot of fun that way. But um, I, it's a very, I mean, you know, whenever anybody hears a Christian anything related to games, they immediately think, you know, and I've, I've done a lot of thinking about this, but they immediately think that it's going to try to educate me. And some, some uh, people understand what I'm talking about that where, when a game, veils yeah i mean it just veils like the the education the which is the main goal of the game with a little thin layer of fun it it becomes very disappointing after you open the box and realize like it's it's not what you thought it was you know you're here to have fun with your buddies and and here this is trying to you know teach you a lesson you know in sunday school or whatever and I, one thing I decided is that is not what Deliverance is going to be. It's going to be game first. We're not going to try to, you know, turn people into, uh, you know, Christians or whatever playing the game. We're going to just assume the base of lore is true and then tell an awesome story. And um, so the reason I say that is because I decided long before I put a penny into advertising that if this game has legs, it has to have legs without paying money for ads i know that i can get people to join an email list but i mean can i get people to really get behind this game i mean is it something that people would want and so i actually made it to about a i want to say like 1100 or or 1200 emails on my email list and um about a thousand people in my facebook group without spending a penny on ads i think i spent like 20 dollars one time um you know, to like boost a post or something. But um, it was it was very important that I would learn, you know, I would almost act like I had no money and only my time that I could invest and tell people about it and all of that. I know a lot of people are in very similar situations where you've got a project and you legitimately need the funds from Kickstarter in order to finish it. And so, you know, the way that I decided to go about it was completely organically. I'm going to post in Facebook groups. I'm going to talk about it on, you know, online or at conventions, at unpubs, and just build slowly like that. So uh, that's the way it's been for, for a good while now. Um, again, you know, my my huge adv- advice, the, the, the biggest benefit in my marketing was an early landing page because that's a place I could send everybody. You know, um, it was it, it would describe more of the game when they couldn't see it in front of me. Um, so it was it was very useful to have that. But, yeah, so we've been working on it for just over four. Well, about four years. It became an idea in 2016. I quit video games in 2015 and started playing board games instead. I just became a hardcore board game player like the next day after I quit video games, you know, and. Um, I was, <laughs> I played a lot of, yeah, yeah. So I played a lot of cards and, you know, like Magic Gathering and, um, Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh and other games. Like I've always been a gamer, but, um, but yeah, I took a serious look at board games when I stopped playing video games and the idea came to me June, 2016 and, you know, started working on it later that month. And, you know, it's probably been two years that I've had people working on art and other things like that and just alongside what I'm currently doing with my day job right and so um it's been a long journey I play tested it over almost 600 times now between myself and and the other my play testing volunteers that are amazing and um it just you know I just have tweaks here and there that need to be made to make sure that it's the best experience possible and um you know, I can't, I just, I, for myself, I don't want to rush it into Kickstarter. I think it would fund successfully if we went to Kickstarter now, but I feel like 
what I want is I want to release a game that that has a long tail um, that people receive and then they really like, and I want to give it its best chance to do that. And so it needs to be as um, you know without you know you could spin your wheels forever as a designer, but I mean you know when you know there are clearly things that you can improve, then you know it's your job as a designer to 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 do that right uh, if if you can. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's never never truly finished, but at some point, it's as close to perfect or as ready as you can make it. Yeah, and, and that's what expansions are for. <laughs> it, absolutely, absolutely. And so, um, where we're at now, we're probably six to I want to say six to twelve months out. We we could probably go to Kickstarter sooner than that, but um, right now I'm in a design contest for uh, deliverances in a design contest for the Board Game Design Lab and. That should be that should be fun. Uh, should get some good feedback and other things too. But um, but yeah, I figure you know it's one of those things like I look at at Blizzard Entertainment as kind of my gold standard for when they say it's ready soon. It means it's ready ready when it's when it's ready and not a moment before, right? And we're not going to rush it to market like certain other uh, companies, EA. <clears throat> um, <laughs> <laughs> you rush the market, and then you need uh, 12 months of bug fixes every every week to correct what should have been done in the forefront. Exactly, exactly. You know, too bad with a board game, you can't can't just deliver a patch. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. Right. No, it's good to hear what you've been working on, how long it's been in development, how much further you have, because some people look at the games and don't realize that the sheer amount of time and energy that goes into creating them. I mean, some games can get made and six to 12 months some of them take years and uh, some of them don't get made at all so yeah yeah i mean it's crazy I, i've been um you know i'm a part of uh i'm a part of the team for ascension tactics and uh stoneblade has a staff a full-time staff full-time game developers and i'm a part of their slack channel and i constantly see them updating and iterating every single day they're getting games in like like four or five six games in and you know, multiple people are, are getting games in and they're iterating and it's like, man, that is an incredible system. And, you know, here I am or, you know, we are working alongside our, our day job and you just don't have quite all of the time to invest, but it's, uh, it's still the, this feels like the same number of hours <laughs> required. Yeah. Which is never enough, by the way, never yes. enough hours. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Andrew, so much for uh, sharing some of your thoughts on marketing. I mean, uh, you've been a tremendous help with me to understand Facebook ads, targeted ads. I hate the word targeted, but it's the, the target is there to find somebody that actually likes your game, not to try to victimize them to your advertising. It's really about finding your audience. And you helped me do that. And you're helping the campaign do that, uh, both for the past six weeks and these couple of days of launch. And it's been a tremendous help to see the campaign grow and where I think it's going to finish off quite well. I think there's a lot of momentum to be had ahead and, and you've made that happen. So thank you for that and for sharing some other insights with Ice Safari and, and with um, the Ocean Game and with your own game. Uh, it's been really insightful and I think the people that listen to this episode will definitely have learned something that they didn't know, whether it was about marketing or uh, group sharing or development. So um, is there any last words that you want to share about your thoughts on the industry right now or about um, marketing in general? Yeah, you know, first I just want to say thank you for for saying that, and and um, you know, I I guess for my maybe my encouragement to others would be marketing is I mean every single time you post about your game, you are marketing, and not every single marketing message needs a you know an actionable thing that somebody does. You know, they not every single you know image you share needs to have a link to your Facebook group. Um, so what, what I would recommend is you, you don't want to appear as though you're trying to sell people because people don't like advertisements. Um, intrinsically, we kind of try to run away from ads. And so I recommend sharing your passion for what it is that you're making. Um, so we'll use Facebook as an example. So you share your passion, you share a cool image that you're really proud of or whatever it is that you've worked hard on and don't. Link, don't put a link in that Facebook post. Put it down in the comments below. Um, 
it is a great way to veil a marketing effort when you respond to someone that says, wow, this is amazing with the, you know, with a, a call to action, you know, yeah, thanks so much. If you wanted to learn more, go, you know, you can check it out here in my Facebook group or website or whatever. That's where you can link it. Um, I think that marketing is honesty. And if it's honest, then you want the right people to join your email list. Not anybody, but the right people. And the right people will volunteer themselves if you share about the game and share what makes you passionate. Um, so that's that's my encouragement. And also, the last thing is just do something. Don't sit there with an email list, never sending an email because you're afraid somebody's going to unsubscribe. You're not allowed to do that. You have to send an email at least once a month and just um, you know embrace people unsubscribing you know i've run email lists hundreds of thousands of people large and you know you get unsubscribes everyone you send but you get hard more and more hardcore dedicated fans every single one you send and that's your your goal so there you go yeah and the people that you lose are the ones that probably weren't going to support the campaign anyway right absolutely so wonderful well, again, thanks so much for joining me today, Andrew. Uh, some great last words there. I love that thought. Just send out a picture. Just send out an idea of your game. You don't have to link it, and that can go a long way, too. Uh, I do hope that the Kickstarter journey we're sharing together in our discussion about it and the ones that you had help educate some other creators out there to keep working at and making their ideas turn into reality. And for those of you that are listening to the podcast, if there is one thing you can do to encourage and motivate other Kickstarter journeys, and maybe learn some lessons of your own, just take a minute and a dollar or two and support some project that catches your eye today. We might not be able to buy all the cool things we see, but that little bit can help pad their bottom line and keeps their project moving in the right direction. And feel free to subscribe or follow. Lots of great Kickstarter journeys and guests that want to share their experiences with you. So thanks, everybody, and and thank you again, Andrew. My pleasure.